Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 300 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Yes, you are tuned in to the 300th episode. And before we kick off our conversation, I just wanted to say a very sincere thank you to each and every one of you who tune in every week. The team and I are so grateful for your support. It's not always easy to find resources that speak to our unique experiences as Black women. And we're honored to serve as a trusted space for you to come and get the real talk about mental health and to provide a space for you to feel seen, heard, and supported. Here's to 300 amazing episodes and many more to come. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the conversation. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girl Bomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. 
From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. This week, I'm pleased to be joined by today's distinguished guest, Ebony K. Williams. Ebony is an accomplished lawyer, author, and pundit who brings her legal expertise to various platforms. She's the host and executive producer of the NAACP Image Award-nominated podcast, Holding Court with Ebony K. Williams, and the author of Bet on Black, The Good News About Being Black in America Today. Ebony joins me today to discuss her roots as a trial attorney, her experiences as a Black woman in the legal field, and parlaying her law degree into the media industry and beyond. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session or join us in the sister circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. So excited to chat with you today, Ebony. Thank you for chatting with us today. Absolutely. Longtime fan, Dr. Joy. You used to come on Revolt. Black news a lot when I hosted. So this is lovely full circle. Indeed, indeed. Always a pleasure to chat with you. So you have worn so many hats throughout your life and career. So in terms of being a lawyer, I'm a podcaster, a host, former member of the cast of Real Housewives of New York. But I want you to take us back to very young Ebony on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill and talk to us about her and what did she want to do in becoming a lawyer? And how do you think that that has changed or how has it stayed the same or some of those same motivations there? Oh, young Ebony. She was so precocious, (laughs) so full of energy, so full of curiosity. Always knew she wanted to be a lawyer. As I write about in my new book, Bet on Black, the good news about being Black in America today. I think I was a bit fortunate in that I always had a clear sense of my what. And over time, I realized my why. So I knew I always wanted to be an attorney, mainly because people were always telling my mother, Gloria, who raised me as a single mom, and only child that with that mouth, she's got to be a lawyer or an actress. I was always raising my hand first, asking a million questions. So it was clear from a young age for me, Dr. Joy, that something in the advocacy space, being a voice for the voiceless was going to be my route in life. So I always knew I wanted to be an attorney. What I would say has evolved over time is my why. I believe that I started into the career path of being a lawyer and an attorney because I wanted to be credible as a Black woman in America. I think that what we do know is that there are tragic presumptions around Blackness in terms of our intellectual prowess, in terms of our credibility as professionals, and frankly, as our qualifications to be in spaces, right? And I think because my mother was born and raised in the segregated Jim Crow South, Southeast Louisiana, which I know your family's from as well. Shout out to Amy and Tangipahoe Parish. She had the good sense to know that as a Black girl, speaking about this Black girl she was raising, me, named Ebony, Kiana Williams, growing up in the American South, that I would have to contend with a lot of preconceptions and misnomers about who I was as a Black woman in America. And so taking that 
and marrying it with what I saw as spaces that were deemed highly credible and revered, which were professions in medicine, law, engineering, go unchallenged, more or less, more or less, in terms of, okay, if you show up and you are of that professional caliber, there's going to be some presumptions around work ethic, qualification, and ability. That was a lot of my why as to why I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to take some of those questions off the table when I entered a room as a Black woman and a young presenting Black woman at that, right? I started practicing at 23. I wanted those questions to be null and void on arrival. So those were my original whys. Where I have evolved is now, of course, my why is deeply centered in the celebration and amplification of Black women more broadly. It's less about proving who and what we are to others. And it's more about being very clear and convincing, to use a legal term, clear and convincing evidentiary standards of who we are to each other and to ourselves. I love that. And I feel like I want to come back to that because I feel like there are some mental health implications that come with that load of kind of having to do all of these things, right? Like, and I think a lot of us like have that same kind of story of our parents feeling like we needed to do a thing to be able to survive in this world and the mental health toll that that really takes on us. But I want to put a pin in that so I can get a little bit more from your history and kind of hear about your experience with the law. So when you graduated from law school, what were you planning to do with your law degree? And what kinds of things or words of wisdom would you want to share about job opportunities for recent law graduates? Love this question. So I graduated from Loyola University in New Orleans, College of Law. I had a very successful law school experience, meaning graduated at the top of my class, came out as Miss Moot Court. I was on our national Moot Court team. So I had a lot going for me. But I have to pause here, Dr. Joy, and tell you the authenticity of my mother, Gloria, who I just spoke about. (laughs) Even with all of that accolade, And I passed the bar on my first attempt, which was a blessing, again, at 23 years old. I wanted to be the next Johnny Cochran. I knew I wanted to be a trial attorney of high success. But as a lot of law students will tell you, the jobs, the big six-ish figure jobs are few and far between, particularly when you start talking about being a Black person in the law. And so... Those are the goals that many of us are force fed in law school. You know, those on-campus interviews where the top 10 to 15% are invited to interview with the Sidley Austins, which is the law firm the Obamas practiced at and met at actually, Jones Day, all of these big firms. So when I came out of law school, Joy, although I had all these credentials and accolades, what I didn't have because I graduated in 2007 from law school, which was right around the bubble burst, and also right after Hurricane Katrina, there was no job. So Gloria said, yeah, clap, clap, congratulations. I ran into, I was staying with her that summer. I ran into the house. I was so excited. Like, oh my God, mom, I passed the bar. It's so amazing. She said, yeah, 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 clap, clap. You've got exactly two weeks to have an offer from a law firm, or you're actually going to be taking your butt up to the, they had just built a brand new PF chains right down the street from the house. She said, your ass is going to be serving lettuce wraps. And she was not playing at all. If you know this woman, you know how serious that she was. I knew she was serious, Joy. So what I did was, although I didn't have an offer, I did as Madam C.J. Walker tells us to do, which is go curate your own opportunity. Don't wait for someone to give you one. Curate it yourself. So I put on my black little power suit, which is again, at the time, what all women were instructed to put on. My 
ill-colored stockings and my heels and I pounded the pavement and I knocked on every law firm door in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I was licensed to practice. And I made up interview times. I would literally walk in and say, oh, I'm here to speak to the hiring manager. Oh, he's not aware of your appointment. I said, oh, that's so weird, but don't worry about it. Here's my cover letter and resume. Just have him call me. And that worked exactly one time. Everybody else either ignored me or laughed me out of the office. But one firm, James McElroy and Deal, which is a very prestigious family and civil litigation firm in Charlotte, I actually got a call from the hiring partner. And he said, Miss Williams, I'm so sorry about the confusion, but why don't you come in on Wednesday? And the rest is history. Wow. So would something like that work these days? Like what kinds of suggestions would you give to recent law school graduates? I advise it, Dr. Joy. <laughs> I'll tell you why I advise it. Does it work in the way that it works for me? I can't tell you yes or no. What I can tell you was come the Christmas party of that same firm that I was then an associate with, Jonathan admitted to me that he knew the whole thing was a sham and he respected the chutzpah. He said, any young litigator that has essentially, pardon my French, but the balls, if you will, or the, the ovaries or the confidence and the courage to come into a firm of this caliber and position themselves as such was worth meeting. So I do advise young graduates coming out of law, especially young black law school graduates to show up and take up a lot of space, think outside the box, be unconvinced. Because here's the thing, Joy, it's the same thing as a lot of journalists that work in the space. And we all go to NABJ and we come out, we all have our same little multicolored, call them news bots dresses, our colored sheath dresses and our Barbie hair. The more you can distinguish yourself from your peers, because many of us will walk out with the same resumes and the same law review and moot court credentials and this, that, and the third, and it's all lovely. And even once you have that bar exam number in your hand and you have your license to practice, you are still a part of a relatively large collective. So I really recommend students thinking outside of the box and how they can position themselves as uniquely as possible. So yes, Joy, I believe in the cold call. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder if there are some ways that people can use their legal degree in non-traditional. I mean, in a lot of ways, you're already doing that. But I do think like there is a lot of grooming and socialization around like getting a job at big law firms that happens in law. What kinds of things can people be doing to maybe think outside of the box, even fresh out of law school? Indeed, fresh out of law school. Again, this narrative has held true. I came out of law school now, goodness, almost 15, 16 years ago. And what I'm hearing from students, Dr. Joy, is that it's still very much the same. The narrative is make the good grades, get on the law review, moot court, fill in the blank, law clinic, whatever it is, get the resume, pass the bar and go to big law if you're fortunate enough to do so. Now, when you talk to many big law associates and even some partners, they tend to be less than happy. I'll leave that there. <laughs> Not all of them. I do know some people that are, are thriving, but they are few and far between. So I think that it's important for young people or people, period, because I do think it's important to make space for Black students who go to law school in, quote, non-traditional times in life, you know, who have had a whole nother career. In fact, I think this is really advisable to have a career in another space, finance, business, education, you name it, medicine even, and then pivot at one point in time to pursue a legal career. And I think that is really advantageous to those people that come to the table with another perspective. So whenever you find yourself coming out of law school, 
I think you should really open yourself up to non-traditional pathways, like you're saying, Joy. Think about working at public defender's offices. When I left big law and I left the big six-figure job a year, a little less than a year into the game, I went to be a public defender, which for me is where I really cut my teeth. And I say I really learned how to practice law. Think about going to prosecutor offices. I really want to say that very loudly, Dr. Joy. I was talking to a colleague of mine in the space of law and media, and that is my soror, Bernarda Villalona. And she was a prosecutor in Philadelphia at the start of her career. And she got a lot of slack from the culture because the culture understandably has a lot of skepticism when it comes to Black folks in prosecutorial spaces. But we will tell you, there is no one more powerful in a courtroom other than a prosecutor and a judge. So we need to see more Black faces occupying those spaces. Outside of that, you know, there are people that go straight into what an in-house position looks like. Now we think of that as general counsel. That can be like a high up position that normally people graduate to, but you'd be surprised as to how many startups and small businesses could use legal counsel of a more transactional sort. My lawyer, because I'm no longer practicing law and now I work as a businesswoman who is a content creator and producer. So my lawyer's on speed dial. My lawyer is an IP lawyer. She's an intellectual property lawyer and she is a business attorney in entertainment. She's fundamental to the game. So, and she used to be my mentee when she was in law school. So I think the space is wide open, Dr. Joy. I think a law degree, a JD, is the fundamental, most flexible postgraduate degree one can have because you can really take up space in traditional practice of law, in business, and just in executive leadership beyond just the practice of law. So you've used a lot of terms that I want to make sure we define for our community who are non-lawyers. So you have had experience as a public defender. You've worked in civil litigation. You've been in private practice. Can you define some of those terms for us? So what does it mean to be a public defender? Sure. So a public defender is a lawyer who works in the criminal space. So we're doing criminal law. And how I talked about the prosecutor. The prosecutor is the individual that brings the charges against someone accused of a crime. That public defender is there to make sure that prosecutor does their job, Dr. Joy. We are there to defend the civil and human and constitutional rights of all defendants that appear in court. And we are public defenders because we represent the indigent. Indigent is a term that essentially means the poor, the impoverished, those that cannot afford to pay for their own legal defense. It's in our constitution that everybody gets a legal defense, enter public defenders. And we can sometimes also get a bad rap in broader society. I assure you that I and so many other public defenders, y'all are incredible attorneys. We are brilliant, bright legal minds, and we really take our work very seriously. That's the public defender. Civil litigation. Civil litigation is when it's not about going to jail. It's about paying the money. So civil law is about not the criminal aspect where you do go to jail if you're found, quote, guilty or in the wrong. In civil law, if you're found, quote, in the wrong, you are deemed to be liable and responsible for money damages. A great example of this is O.J. Simpson, right? O.J. was tried in criminal court. He was found not guilty in the criminal court. The families of Nicole and Ron brought civil litigation charges. O.J. was found liable 
in the civil court of law. Thus, he had to pay the family millions of dollars in money damages. Got it. Thank you for defining that for us. So I am sure like doctors, when they watch shows like ER and those kinds of things, I know that there are tons of law shows that I'm sure you have seen or maybe heard about. And I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about what some of those shows get wrong. Like what are some of the kind of common misconceptions you see come up and how is that different from the reality of what actually happens in courtrooms? Yeah. Dr. Joy, I actually love watching law movies and law television shows. Some of my favorite movies are Philadelphia around Tom Hanks's homosexual and AIDS patient suing his law firm. I love Law and Order. I love all the legal shows and movies. But yes, to your point, they get a lot wrong. I would say one of the main things they all get wrong is the time in which you see it happening. Meaning to think that any case, mostly criminal or civil, you can have opening statements, direct exam, cross-exam, jury verdict, appeal, everything happened within 60 minutes or two hours, child, please. It's never that. <laughs> and one of the reasons that most lawyers will tell you that they probably love the law, but can get frustrated with the law is the bureaucracy of the law. Whether it's criminal work or transactional work or civil litigation work, everything takes so long, girl. So many continuances, so many hearings, so many preliminary hearings, so many just different aspects that just take up so much time and energy that by the time we finally get to court, a lot of times we're exhausted mentally and emotionally. So. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I love about your podcast, Holding Court with Ebony K. Williams, is that you will introduce us to a lot of hot topics in the law and like really calling our attention to things that we should be paying attention to. So for our sisters who are in law, what are some cases that they should be paying attention to right now? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Joy, for shutting out the podcast Holding Court, which I do weekly with my brilliant and so talented co-host Dustin Ross. So we recorded this morning, actually. So we talked about a lot of people are curious about what's happening with this Tiger Woods situation and the fact that his ex-girlfriend, not ex-wife, but ex-girlfriend that he did live with for six years is bringing suit to do both throw out the NDA that she was required to sign as a part of their relationship. And she's also suing for $30 million in expenses that she claims she's entitled to because of their cohabitation tenancy agreement. So a lot of legal stuff there, but ultimately I really want women and black women to pay attention to this in the law because these are really issues that we need to be getting in front of as women in relationships, right? So establishing what living situation outcomes look like before breakups. This is where a prenup is important if you're married. And even if you're not married, please be clear. There are certain tangible written agreements that can be put into place that says, this is what we're agreeing to as cohabitants. If there is a break in the cohabitation, this is what you get. This is what I get. That can include the wealthier party paying living expenses in a hotel or other housing, Airbnb situation until that other partner finds a more permanent housing. The point is, is there's a lot of options on the table. You want to make sure that you are putting yourself in position to have those options enforced if said breakup occurs and that's married or unmarried. Mm, so that's one of the idea. cases. Yeah. Another case that we covered. I think this is so important, Dr. Joy. You talk about this a lot on your show. This notion of black wealth building, closing wealth gaps, the culture is very into this topic. But one of the ways in which this shows up is in housing. Right. And so there was a black couple in California that recently brought suit against an appraisal company 
for underbidding them, literally. And when they had their house appraised with their family photos of their beautiful black kids and family and their black art, they got a number that was like 995,000, something like that, right? When they had their white friends allow them to use their white family photos and give a tour as a white family to the appraiser, all of a sudden the house is worth 1.5 million. So they sued and it's an amount that was not disclosed, which as a lawyer tells me it probably was a good number, <laughs> a good number for the family. But I want the culture and black women and law to pay attention to that, Dr. Joy, because that can serve as a model of how holding folks in real estate and commercial and residential property accountable for what happens when you undervalue blackness. And let's be clear, we have to name that. That is what that practice is, whether it's redlining, whether it's lowballing appraisals for black homeowners and property owners, that is a form of anti-blackness. And we have to call it out, whether it's in the law or in the culture, and in this case, both. Mm -hmm. More from my conversation with Ebony after the break. Attention all last minute shoppers. Just a reminder that Mother's Day is May 12th. And if you're like me, you're still trying to figure out the perfect gift for the amazing moms in your life. But no worries, Macy's has got you covered. They've got gift guides to make shopping a breeze. Whether you're looking for the perfect pieces for your fashionista mom or for your best friend who's celebrating her very first Mother's Day this year, you can shop by price, by category, and they even have specialty lists to help focus you even more, like a list for the mom who has it all and a list of items that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted. Right now, some of this year's hottest items include digital picture frames and Polaroid cameras. With the help of their gift guides, I'm sure you'll find just the right thing. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Form is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Growing up watching media legends like Gwen Eiffel and Robin Roberts always gave me the security that stories that matter to me would be told. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, 
you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Tired of hair removal tools that just don't cut it? Conair Bomb gives you smooth, flawless results while putting you firmly in control. From achieving that silky smooth skin to boosting your inner confidence, Conair Bomb is all about helping you elevate your self-care game. Whether it's creating a hype playlist, throwing yourself into a hobby, or scheduling some me time, self-care is important to keeping you feeling confident and empowered. It's time to take your hair removal routine to the next level. You can trust Conair Bomb to get the job done right. Conair Bomb gives you the secret weapons for achieving powerful results with ease. Designed with women in mind, these tools boast the sassy Girl Bomb grip for unparalleled handling and precision, along with professional-grade blades to deliver results that you used to only get from men's tools. No more compromising. So to all you incredible women out there, treat yourself to a little Conair Girl Bomb magic. Don't settle for anything less than perfection. Elevate your grooming game with Conair Girl Bomb. Available now at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. So you mentioned and you're talking about it now, like you've moved from practicing law to using all of your legal expertise as a podcast host in lots of different ways in the different varieties in the media. So can you talk a little bit about how your experience as a trial lawyer really helps you to do the TV work that you do? Simply put, Dr. Joy, I could not do what I do in television, on podcasting or even as an author without my years of experience as for me, a trial lawyer. My ability to do what I do on Holding Court, my ability to do what I do on The Griot with Ebony K. Williams, which airs on The Griot every night at 6 Eastern. And of course, what you read a lot of in Bet on Black, the good news about being Black in America, and even in my first book, Pretty Powerful, my lens is that of a Black woman attorney. And that lens, whether I'm in a courtroom at a bail hearing or whether or not I'm sitting in front of a podcast mic, Kiki and with Dustin Ross, that lens is the same lens. The issues, you know, we have this term in law school and practicing law is called issue spotting. My ability to produce holding court, which I executive produce, right, is reliant upon my ability to look at a news cycle on any given day and say, these are the issues we need to look at. I'll give you an example, Dr. Joy, the Mike Epps headline. So everybody's talking about the fact that Mike Epps was, I don't have to say allegedly here because he has admitted to his possession of, as he calls it, a pistol. In his Instagram apology, where he says he forgot he had a pistol in his backpack when he was at the Indiana airport. And everybody's talking about that as the headline. That's not where my mind went. The headline is the headline. But the issue that I was compelled to discuss on my show is the apology, is the fact that when you, Mike Epps or Joe Schmo or Jane Doe or Sister Joe, when you get on social media and you either by video or by tweet or text, apologize for behavior in a public forum, you are tacitly admitting the action. And while from a PR standpoint or narrative standpoint, Dr. Joy, that might be advantageous to some level, from a legal standpoint, you have now tied my hands. You have now limited my opportunities to build defense for you, if defense is needed. So that's just an example of my issue spotting ability that comes from me being a trial attorney. I'm not worried about whether you did or didn't have the gun. I'm not worried about whether or not 
you should have checked the bag. That's fine. Those issues are there. But the narrowly tailored issue that I want to bring people's awareness to that they otherwise would not necessarily be paying attention to is the legal consequence of that apology. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to other sisters in law school who maybe want to do similar things like you're doing, be a pundit on news and those kinds of things? What advice would you give them? I would say, and I get this often, Dr. Joyce, so thank you for bringing it up. I think it's very important to come to the table if you want to be a media personality, a trusted figure in legal spaces, but you want to do it in a broad television, multimedia, podcast, radio way. The main thing is your credibility, right? In the fields that we have chosen to pursue, aspects of medicine, aspects of psychology, aspects of law, you name it, you are as good as your professional reputation for accuracy. So the main thing I would tell a young woman, a young black woman, especially that wants to be in this space is as much as I am the biggest cheerleader for black women in all spaces, I cannot advocate for black women to be in this space and not tell them the difficult truth which is that they will be held to a higher standard of credibility. The reality is, is when you have the audacity, Dr. Joy, as we have demonstrated in our career choices, to say that we're going to take up space and we're going to center ourselves in these historically white professions, and we're not just going to do so in private practice, although we've done that, we're now going to have the audacity to do so in the public forum of syndicated radio, internationally distributed podcasting, nationally syndicated cable news, what have you, right? You are literally begging for an enormous microscope of scrutiny and criticism to come your way. And I have to be very honest with our sisters about that, Dr. Joy. And at the same time, look at what I did on The View a few weeks ago with DeSantis, a massive invitation of scrutiny to who I am. But I'm able to do so at this point in my career. Let me be clear. At this point in my career, I get to do shit like that because I have earned the reputation for truth telling. And so that's what I would tell our sisters is trust the process. I write a whole chapter in my new book, Bet on Black, around process. You can't expect to necessarily come out of the gates like, okay, I just graduated from law school. I just passed the bar and now I'm going to sit at the view and tell off, you know, DeSantis and Trump and maybe Biden too, right? There's a process. There's an earning of stripes. It doesn't mean you can't do it in a relatively quick timetable, but it means that your reputation for getting it right, knowing what you're talking about from a legal perspective and a journalistic lens, and that is what you do. When you decide that you want to do what I'm doing, what Sonny Hostin is doing, what Star Jones in many ways originated, which was be a Black woman who marries her law experience, background, and degree with that of being a national or international public figure, baby, you better be ready. That means you got to be damn good at both the law and the journalism of it. And you have to have the skin to tolerate the scrutiny that comes with that choice. Mm. So let's stay with the book for a little while. So in addition to that chapter, you also have a chapter in the book called No Need to Code Switch. When you talk about like some of the microaggressions and some of the things you shared made us think about the situation on Insecure with Molly when they tried to tell her like she was too loud in the office and like a lot of the attempts to change her. Can you talk a little bit about some of the microaggressions you experienced as a practicing lawyer and any advice you share for other people to how to navigate that? Indeed, Dr. George. So unfortunately, we know that when you are a lawyer, whether it's in a firm, a prosecutor's office, legal aid, of counsel at a corporation. Historically, when people think lawyer, they still think old white man. 
So we got to start from that premise, right? So that is the expectation of space. So already when you are a black woman in any of the aforementioned spaces of law, you are innately disruptive. So let's just sit with that. Just your mere presence, your mere doing your job every day and showing up to work is already making some folks uncomfortable before you've opened your mouth. So I want to sit with that. And I would encourage young black women or black women period in the law to sit with that because that really relieves a lot of pressure around what you do or say. Because if you think about it, before you open your mouth, you have already disrupted general concepts and ideals around who gets to be a lawyer in America. So it's less about, well, was I too loud? Did I ask too many questions? Did I not know enough? Let's not gaslight ourselves because that's what that is, right? Let's not do the work of the oppressor for him or her or them. So let's not gaslight ourselves about the what we did and just remember that our mere presence is disruptive in its entirety. Then traditional notions of accommodating white comfort. And by the way, when I talk about white comfort, it ain't just white people that hold expectations of white comfort, Dr. Joy. Unfortunately, as we saw in the Molly example, some of her own black colleagues, when she did go to the black law firm even, were still bothered because they were so conditioned to expectations of whiteness. So a lot of this work that I talk about in the book is around divorcing ourselves as black women in law from white comfort and divorcing ourselves as black women in law and life. Mind you, everything I'm saying about the law, Dr. Joy applies to life. These are life hacks, right? But it's also divorcing ourselves from the need, the requirement from collective black buy-in. And that one's a little harder to sit with, I think, for most of us, because who among us doesn't want to feel celebrated by the culture? Who doesn't want to feel like we are doing good work on behalf of our people and our culture? And we do. But if you are waiting for 100 percent agreement from folks that look like you about the way in which you choose to show up at work, in life, in your family, in your relationship, in your financial choices, you will be waiting for a very long time. So I encourage Black women, Joy, to really divorce themselves from those requirements and start focusing on the authenticness of how they want to center Blackness in their occupancy of space as Black women attorneys, as Black judges, as Black businesswomen. Mm -hmm. So let's stay with the authenticity for a little bit, because we do know, in addition to what you talked about, like there is all this additional scrutiny around styling choices, especially for Black women in terms of how we style our hair and what colors are we wearing and, you know, all of that stuff. So what does it even mean to show up authentically, especially in the spaces that you've occupied? This is where being liberated, Dr. Joy, is really important. What does it mean to show up authentically? It means exactly what you individual Black woman says it does. It's nothing more or less than that. So I'll give you an example. I talk about this in great detail in my first book, Pretty Powerful, Appearance, Substance, and Success, where the whole book is premised on the notion of what we look like as women in the world matters and deeply correlates with our professional ascension. Now, while that is a tragic reality, I think it's trash. That's the case, right? As Marsha Clark says in the book who I interview, we should be able to show up and try a case in a burlap sack if we wanted to. But that is not the condition of the world we live in. And up and until it changes, we are where we are. 
So there would have been a time in my life, Dr. Joy, where I would not have even done this interview with you wearing the hoodie I'm wearing right now. Let me tell you the narrative that I was tethered to at that time. This makes Black women look bad, right? To just be seen in something that wasn't demonstrative of modeling respectability politics, that wasn't the classic Black Navy or gray blazer suit, that wasn't the crisp white collar shirt. I'm intentionally not wearing lipstick today. And a lot of why I made the aesthetic choices that I've made for our particular conversation, Dr. Joy, is because I really want this conversation to be accessible. And a lot of times when we as women, especially as black women, especially as kind of classically or commercially described attractive black women show up with all of the lashes and all of the beat and all of the extra, which I love the extra child, but sometimes it can serve as a barrier for people really resonating and connecting with the content. And that was something I didn't think that we could afford to do in this conversation. So this is a very kind of stripped down version of my on-camera aesthetic. So that's the thinking there. As for the sweatshirt, it's a sweatshirt with a very pronounced message that talks about generational curse breakers. And that's very important to what I'm doing in this work at this point in time. And I think it's very germane to the conversation we're having. So there was thought here that is in tension with what we say historically women and professional women and lawyers should look like if they want to be taken seriously. And yet I am challenging those around me by the choices I'm making in this particular aesthetic. And so that's the liberation. So this is my authenticity in this moment. And check me an hour later and it might look totally different. Mm -hmm. So really about bringing who you would like to bring to any particular space and having that be defined by yourself. And having it be defined by yourself. Therein Mm -hmm. lies the liberation, Dr. Joy. Yeah, yeah. More from my conversation with Ebony after the break. Attention all last-minute shoppers. Just a reminder that Mother's Day is May 12th. And if you're like me, you're still trying to figure out the perfect gift for the amazing moms in your life. But no worries, Macy's has got you covered. They've got gift guides to make shopping a breeze. Whether you're looking for the perfect pieces for your fashionista mom or for your best friend who's celebrating her very first Mother's Day this year, you can shop by price, by category, And they even have specialty lists to help focus you even more, like a list for the mom who has it all and a list of items that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted. Right now, some of this year's hottest items include digital picture frames and Polaroid cameras. With the help of their gift guides, I'm sure you'll find just the right thing. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. 
and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Tired of hair removal tools that just don't cut it? Conair Girl Bomb gives you smooth, flawless results while putting you firmly in control. From achieving that silky smooth skin to boosting your inner confidence, Conair Girl Bomb is all about helping you elevate your self-care game. Whether it's creating a hype playlist, throwing yourself into a hobby, or scheduling some me time, self-care is important to keeping you feeling confident and empowered. It's time to take your hair removal routine to the next level. You can trust Conair Girl Bomb to get the job done right. Conair Girl Bomb gives you the secret weapons for achieving powerful results with ease. Designed with women in mind, these tools boast the sassy Girl Bomb grip for unparalleled handling and precision, along with professional grade blades to deliver results that you used to only get from men's tools. No more compromising. So, to all you incredible women out there, treat yourself to a little Conair Girl Bomb magic. Don't settle for anything less than perfection. Elevate your grooming game with Conair Girl Bomb. Available now at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. So this fall, you're adding yet another title to your long list. So you'll be the youngest judge on syndicated daytime television with Equal Justice with Judge Ebony K. Williams. So tell me what interested you in having a daytime court TV show and how it's going to be different than any other show we've seen. It's just fun. Like, who in the world would not love the opportunity to sit above that bench and hold that gavel and pontificate on the crazy that goes on in daytime court? So that's one of my whys. I do a lot of work. It's extremely intense and it's extremely rewarding. But at some point, you got to have a little fun. So that's a part of my why for wanting to do equal justice with Judge Ebony K. Williams. The other thing, a lot of my work early in my career, Dr. Joy, my work on Fox News and cable news generally, CNN, HLN, NFL Network, it was tethered to only the work and I was not able to bring my personality to the work because that's the mandate of doing the news, right? The news does not necessarily care about that's for talk, right? Talk shows, the view, which is why I love doing it. The breakfast club, right? Those are spaces that are around your personality and our personality driven platforms. But when you're talking about the things that I really built the foundation of my career doing, people didn't even know who I was as a personality until for a lot of people, housewives or breakfast club. So that's really been only the last five or six years. And, and I've been doing just the broadcast stuff, Dr. Joy, for about 12 years. 
So part of wanting to do the judge show equal justice with Judge Ebony K. Williams is finally, this is the culmination of my ability to be exactly who people here are holding court. A brilliant legal scholar who has an innate, almost uncanny sensibility when it comes to the law. I know the law like the back of my hand and like my first, middle and last name. I really do. I love the law. Let it be known. And all of the shenanigans. <laughs> of who I am as a woman and as a personality. So those are the things. How it's going to be different? Exactly what I just ended with. The reality is nobody can be you like you can be you. So this is not going to be an impersonation of Judge Judy or Judge Mathis or Judge Joe Brown or Judge Maybelline. And God bless all of those titans of industry because that's exactly what they are. But respectively to them, now is the time for something else. In addition to, right, Judge Mathis is now my network partner with Allen Media Group and Entertainment Studios, which is a, a, an incredible honor, right? And yet the culture, I believe, deserves a fresh take, a new iteration of what daytime court is for this moment, culturally. And so I'm very excited to bring that. I'll give you a good example. There's been a lot of critique I believe rightfully so. I was one of the first voices of searing critique of what Chris Rock is currently doing in comedy. And some are jumping to his defense to say, well, he's from an era where those types of jokes, Dr. Joy, that come at the obvious expense of black safety and black liberation, those kind of jokes were permitted, were being operative. I think that's how I feel about daytime court, to be candid. I think that there have been historic levels of anti-Blackness that have shown up in courtrooms with judges who were Black, white, and other. And it was permitted at that time, culturally. Thank God, when we know better, we do better. Thank God. And thank God, because we are at a more culturally elevated and culturally conscious point in time in our existence we get to do daytime court in a way that is funny, entertaining, compelling, interesting, engaging, and yet still reveres the treasure that is blackness. What you will never see in my courtroom that unfortunately we have seen in other people's is me taking slights, making digs, or trying to be cute at the expense of blackness. It'll never happen. So I'm curious, Ebony, how are you staying connected to like learning? So you clearly have to stay on top of what's happening legally. You talked about yourself as a legal scholar. How are you staying on top of that, even though you're not practicing? I read, Dr. Joy, I read. It's really important for me to communicate how important reading is. And when I say reading, Dr. Joy, we live in the technology age. We live in the information age. That could be audiobooks. That can be listening to articles. I subscribe to a lot of news. That's what I do. So I subscribe to the New York Times, Washington Post, The Atlantic, The Athletic, PBS. People want to know like, damn, why are you so swaggy? Why you walk in a room and just take up so much space and so much bravado? Because Dr. Joy, the reality is, and I don't care how it sounds, when I walk into 99.9% .9 of rooms I walk into, yes, including the ones here in Midtown Manhattan, I already know I'm walking in knowing more, looking better, and just harder working than most people in the space. It's the reality. That's the reality. And I work damn hard to make sure that remains the reality. So I read a lot. I consume a lot of documentaries and multimedia content. I listen to your podcast. And it's not just all the law. It's not just all news and politics. I listen to a lot of relationship 
podcast. I listen to Paul C. Brunson. I listen to my friend now, Damona Hoffman. Like I just indulge and consume from the brilliant minds like yours and our peers that I have availability and access to. So that's that's really how I stay on the top of my game. Mm-hmm. So that's just something for everybody to add to their list is reading more. And that really helps you in lots of different spaces. You see behind me, Dr. Joy, in this bookshelf, a lot of these works, and I talk about this in Bed on Black, don't be afraid to revisit something because the who I am today at almost 39 years old, almost 40, when I read The Soul of Black Folk today, believe me, it hits different than when I read The Soul of Black Folk at 15. When I read the narrative of Frederick Douglass today, that is a totally different lens and experience in which I'm consuming that at age eight or even age 22 or even age 32. So I encourage our people, especially to read because y'all, there's a reason I go into all this detail in the book, as you know, Dr. Joy, there is a reason it used to be punishable by death for black Americans to read on this land, because in the pages of the books are the liberation points. When you know who and whose you are, which you're best learning that to me through information, it's hard to oppress and subsidize and make you subsidiary. You just kind of innately show up in a different posture when you know exactly your authentic story. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to that mental health conversation that we talked about earlier. And just, you know, it sounds like, again, your story is very much like a lot of young black women in that, you know, we've been conditioned in this, like work twice as hard to get half as much. And there definitely is a toll on your mental health, I think, because of that. So can you talk a little bit about how you have taken care of your mental health as a practicing lawyer and even now? I take my mental health very, very seriously, Dr. Joy. Let me start with that, which is why, again, I am such a beyond your peer and colleague. I'm a fan, first and foremost, because see, we've got to not only normalize Dr. Joy having these mental health conversations, but I think like go beyond that. Normalizing is not enough in the society we live in. To me, we've got to just like, you know, we celebrate drip. <laughs> And everybody wants the Louis this and the the Rolex that, which, listen, I'm here for all of the drip. But if you ain't in therapy, I'm probably looking at you sideways, personally, you know, because that is an investment unlike anything else. It is an appreciable asset. My ability to do what I do at the level in which I do it is wholly contingent on my ability to be mentally and emotionally well. When we talk about wellness, like, I mean that shit literally. I have to be well in order to do the breakfast club and the griot and the view in the same day. Dr. Joy, I have to be well to write this book and then go on a seven city book tour and then do the accompanying press that comes with it. You gotta be well. So I would say for me, I have invested in individual talk therapy for the past, oh gosh, since basically I moved to New York City, I saw my very first therapist when I was on campus at UNC Chapel Hill, where it was becoming apparent to me, I would get into spaces where for weeks at a time, I wouldn't want to leave my room. I would just sit in the dorm watching reruns of Golden Girls, shout out to Golden Girls. But I knew there was something going on where I was, now I know I was isolating, right? I was isolating. I was definitely having at least some level of low to mid-grade depression going on. And I was self-medicating like a lot of people do with alcohol and probably some overeating as well. So I saw my first therapist at the undergraduate level through 
student health. And so I want to talk about resources because a lot of times, you know, I'm of a generation, thank God you and your contemporaries, Dr. Joe, are changing this, but I'm from a generation where therapy was some white people shit, right? And especially if you were raised in the church or with a faith practice, it was not of God, right? So I want to really challenge the culture here when we start talking about the importance of making space for authentic black identity and mental health treatment and therapy and faith and beliefs in whatever your higher power is. And it's not an or, it's an and. So talk therapy is very important to me. Something else that I did, I'm a proud graduate of the Hoffman Institute. It's not therapy. It is a wellness center. There's one in Connecticut and there's also one in the Napa Valley area of California. It's a seven day long retreat where you turn your phone in and iPad and all that good jazz. They lock it up like you go into Beyonce concert. <laughs> and you don't get it back until eight days later. And I know that's going to like sound insane to a lot of people listening to this conversation. When I tell you, Dr. Joy, that along with my law degree are the two best investments I've ever made into my own self. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We unpack childhood trauma. We learn to forgive our parents, ourselves, our circumstances. Sometimes you guys just got to forgive the circumstances in which you were born, right? And then from that, I've been able to build incredible relationships, starting first with me and myself and forgive myself for the things I did when I was just trying to survive, for the choices I made, including my first marriage, when I was just trying to survive. So Hoffman Institute Talk Therapy, I also am very public in the fact that I take five milligrams of Celexa every day, and that is to help quell my innate anxiety. I've got a black woman primary care doctor. I've got a black woman OBGYN. I've got a black woman, <laughs> everything, you know, for the most part. And that is a part of my wellness commitment. Mm, I love that. I hadn't heard of the Hoffman Institute, so I'll definitely check that out. It sounds like an interesting program. Yeah. Yeah. So just about 5% of lawyers are black. So you've already alluded to this, but I want you to kind of really drive home the importance of having black people show up in all of these spaces, in the TV, in media, in the courtroom. Like, why is that so important? Dr. Joy, it's important because as the African proverb tells us, as long as the hunter writes the story, the lion will always lose. Thus, as long as we are not plentiful enough in practicing law, both as prosecutors, defense lawyers, as transactional attorneys, as litigation specialists in the public sector, the private sector, you name it. As long as there are not enough black storytellers in talk, in radio, in podcasting, in written works, in traditional New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, traditional journalistic outlets, as long as we are what we currently are, which is five to sometimes two to sometimes one, if we're lucky, 7% of those spaces, we will always be vulnerable to our stories being hijacked by dominant storytellers. It's just that simple. It's actually that simple. So one thing that really still bothers me, Dr. Joy, is when we talk about tokenism, even amongst ourselves, when we say, well, oh, we already got a Black person on The Viewer. We already got a Black person at the Today Show. We already got a Black person who's been Attorney General. You've got to be kidding me. Do you know how many old white men, how many white women occupy the same. We would never hear a narrative that says, oh, the view already has two white women. Like we would never hear that, you know, or we would never hear like, 
The Breakfast Club already has two men. I think some of our work, and we still have work that we need to do internally, is around us reshaping expectations that we have of uh, us and ourselves as a culture. A lot of my work, Dr. Joy, is not really rooted in white change. I think that that's important. I love my colleagues that do that work. That's not my ministry. I'm not particularly interested in changing white people, contrary to misconceptions people got from my time on Roni. That was never about those white women, child. <laughs> it really wasn't. And if you really pay attention, you, it's obvious that it's not, right? You see, I'm talking through them. When I'm having a conversation with Luann Deliceps, for instance, who has the audacity to ask me if I've ever heard of Sag Harbor. And I say to her very casually, oh my God, Luann, I love Sag Harbor. You do know it was one of the original places of waterfront property where Black elites, doctors, lawyers, judges, engineers, nurses, teachers were able to own waterfront resort property in the United States of America. I love Sag Harbor. And she's looking crazy in the face because she doesn't even know the, the cultural rich history of her own property. That was not a teachable moment for Luann. I don't give a damn if Luann knew, didn't know, still don't know. Right. That is a broader mirror for us to know. My mama didn't know that until she saw that episode of Roni, Dr. Joy. That's for us. And listen, if you're white or other and you resonate with it, consider it vicarious education. <laughs> but it is not intended for you. That's our medicine that we need mm -hmm. to know so that we can walk a little more boldly and proudly and more beautifully in our own existence. So those are some of the things I would say. Where is our internal work as a people and a culture? That's why I wrote Bet on Black. It is written for us. This is not convincing white people of how great and wonderful and special black people are. I think before we spend more time on that, we've got to be wholly convinced our own selves, not in a facade. We can't afford to have a veneer around it. We've really got to deeply understand and have a knowingness, Dr. Joy. You know, again, confidence comes from competence. And a lot of the reason I call Blackness my superpower is because I really know the narrative of our innate competence as a people, both historically and in contemporary context. Not enough of us know that, which is why and then you see legislators, you know, working overtime to make sure we don't know it. Now, I'm not bothered by it because I know that we are a people that the most historic challenges have never prevented us from doing what we do and knowing who we are. So we just have to continue that work. Mm -hmm. So I know so many people are going to want to stay connected to you and grab copies of your book. Where can we find you online, Ebony? What is your website as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? Yes, please go to my website. It is ebonykwilliams.com, E-B-O-N-I-K-Williams.com. You can get links to Bet on Black, of course. Also the first book, Pretty Powerful. It's, I really recommend that book for women in business and law, and it's fantastic. Also, you can see my whole archive. So, you know, again, we talk about content, Dr. Joy. We talk about how you learn and what resources you can avail yourself to. I have archived every single Breakfast Club interview. You can spend a whole day just on ebonykwilliams.com, watching Breakfast Club interviews, watching sidebars from the griot, listening to interviews on The View and what have you. So I really, really welcome y'all to that platform, which is my website. And social media wise, I'm an auntie, Dr. Joy. Okay. I'm not one of these young girls. <laughs> 
So <laughs> if you look for me on TikTok, you will be disappointed. Okay. I am only on Instagram. Okay. At Ebony K. Williams on Instagram. I do check my DMs myself. Please reach out if you have questions or just want to chit chat. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Ebony. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Joy. Deeply grateful to you. A huge thank you to Ebony for joining us this week and for sharing her wisdom and insight with our community. To learn more about the work that she's doing and to stay connected to everything coming up for her, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 300. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode as well. In case you missed it, yesterday we dropped our very first episode of TBG University, which caters exclusively to the college age sisters in our community. That episode is all about the growing pains of graduating college, so be sure to check it out or pass it along to someone who might appreciate the conversation. You can find more information about that in the show notes as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Dennison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. <laughs>